Hello, and welcome to the Death Culture Podcast with me, Mary Jane. I'm a registered nurse and the owner of MJD Legal Nurse Consulting. In the medical community, just culture refers to this idea that when errors occur, they should be examined closely and without judgment. It, to be honest, most errors, especially the larger ones, do not happen in a vacuum. So if we truly take a deep look at all the events leading up to an error and the factors at play, we can usually spot the weak link in the processes and hopefully prevent future errors from occurring. That's exactly what we'll be doing here in this podcast. Over the course of my career, I've reviewed hundreds of medical-related cases as a resource for attorneys across the country. I aim to use that experience, as well as my experience as a practicing registered nurse, to analyze medical-related cases, explore what went wrong, and perhaps learn what we can do in the future to save lives. Welcome to the Just Culture Podcast with me, Mary Jane Duquette. This week, I had the opportunity to sit down with an amazing nurse who was really open to discussing the challenges that she faced, as well as speaking to this idea of burnout and going against your morals and what the motives of healthcare really is. I found this conversation to be so profound and really at the heart of it, really digs into what I believe is the fundamental shift that needs to happen within healthcare and what I've been sort of preaching on for so long. And I really love this conversation and the way that she was able to portray her experience and what she saw. Um, Ashley's converse, Ashley's contact information will be listed in the show notes, as well as the book that I referenced. That book was really great. I feel like sometimes when you're a nurse and you're kind of going through it, you can feel really alone because the messaging is always, well, you can't do this, but there's something wrong with you because there's 15 other nurses on this unit that can do X, Y, Z, and I don't know why you can't keep up. And really, it might not be that you can't keep up. It might be that they're just asking too much of you. Uh, Some key takeaways from this episode is one, if you're feeling like you're burnt out and you are unsure if you want to be a nurse anymore or a occupational therapist or physical therapist or doctor, um, maybe opening a donut shop sounds amazing to you. You know, take a moment and do some work and do some healing before jumping out of the profession. I feel like it's really burnout. Everybody's burnt out. And the the definition of burnout to me is when you are in a situation where you constantly have to fight and fight for your morals and your values, and you're constantly asked to go against them and do things that you morally wouldn't want to do. And you can't be the person that you want to be because you're constantly being forced to being something that you're acting in ways that you wouldn't. Um, We talk about in the episode 
how nursing by itself is really task oriented. You have so many tasks and so many patients, they have to be done at a certain time and you plan your day around those tasks. But what's missing is that the patient isn't included in that plan. And gosh, wouldn't it be so nice if we were including the patient in the plan? Because didn't we all come into this profession to care and love people, to see people, to treat people? And I know myself, I became a nurse because I wanted to get into the whole holistic aspect of nursing. I could have been a physician's assistant, but I chose nursing because I wanted to treat the entire person. And nobody tells you you can't. However, they just tell you you have to do a hundred other things before you can do that. And there aren't enough hours in your shift to get it all done. And so you can't go above and beyond and maybe teach your patient how to meditate or visualize. You probably could call someone else in to do it, but we're trained to do that stuff too. And that's where I that's where I think the burnout is, is that we can't give the care that we want to give because we're forced to do these tasks and to meet, to see the number of patients that the hospital says we should see without any caps on safety unless we push back. Uh, the second thing is that caring for yourself, if you're a healthcare worker or not, if you're in any profession and you're feeling burnt out, the idea to take a step back and care for yourself because you can't, you can only, I'm going to use like the analogy of like a sponge. So if you, if you have a sponge and it's full, full of water, you can squeeze it and you'll get water from the sponge, but eventually you're going to squeeze the sponge dry and there's going to be no more water left. And that's what I feel like we're doing with healthcare is that the hospitals are squeezing and squeezing and squeezing and forcing us to keep going and keep going and keep going. And we've got nothing left and you have to take time to fill your cup and to give yourself more so that you have more to give. It's not selfish. It's selfless to take care of yourself first as caregivers. Nobody really thinks about caring for the caregivers. They just think about how they, how they care for others or how they care for them. Nobody really takes a moment to say, gosh, are these caregivers like getting what they need? I mean, I've been in positions where uh, water is on the other side of the unit. And so if I'm really busy and can't stop for even half a second during the day, I'm not drinking any water. I can't go to the bathroom. And sometimes if I am going to the bathroom, it's to multitask. So it might be to pee, to cry, to answer the phone, and someone's knocking on the door because one of my patients needs something. Or maybe multiple people. I come out of the bathroom and there's a line because I can't even take a moment to just go into the bathroom just, just to do my business. And the idea of breaks. I've worked a whole year on a unit and I only got like three or four actual lunch breaks. However, those lunch breaks were taken out of my pay every single shift, but I didn't get them. And when I asked for them and said, I need to go get food because I'm hungry, I'm feeling dizzy, I think I'm going to pass out. And you're told you can't take a break because we don't take breaks here. It's night shift. There's no staff. We don't do it. We can't, we can't let you off the unit to go get food. Go eat some crackers. And then you go eat the crackers because you're going to pass out. So you have to take care of your patients. And then quality comes by and says, you can't eat on the unit. You have to be on your break and the break room and they take your crackers away from you. 
and you're left to starve and you've been working for 10 hours and all you wanted was the saltine crackers with peanut butter. Um, true story, by the way, not bitter about it at all. And the third takeaway is what she talked about. I don't think we really got into it a lot and I'll do a separate episode on this um, and my real thoughts about it. But the idea that the patient isn't the customer in healthcare. Think about that. If you are selling a clothing line, the person buying your clothes is your patient, is your customer. And you want to build clothes that that customer wants to buy. You want to market to that customer. You want to tell this customer how amazing their life is going to be if they're wearing your jeans because your jeans are more comfortable. Your jeans are better looking. Your jeans are going to make their butt look the best. But in healthcare, we're just taking advantage of the fact that people are going to get sick and they need somewhere to go and you're the only local gig. So, okay, here where they come. And we're not going to tailor anything, any of our decisions, any of our care, any of our resources. We're not going to put the patient first. We're having the insurance company and she says the government, but really it's like Medicare and guidelines and regulations and incentives. And that's what we're using as our customer. And the fact that she compared a patient, a human with a truck, I feel like there, that's the problem. That's the problem with healthcare. If you shift that focus and you saw that person, that patient, for the person that they are, for the human that they are, a human who maybe has a flat tire, maybe they broke their leg, who knows, we'll call a broken leg equal to a flat tire, that's okay, in a truck you can fix the flat tire and move the patient on, or move the truck on. In real life, you have a patient with a broken leg. This patient has emotions about that. This patient has a soul, has feelings, has a life has a job that maybe they can't go back to because their leg is broken. There's all of these things and there's this grief that goes into it and there's fear and there's anxiety and these people need time. These people need love and these people need holistic care, but we're not even, that's not even on the radar. We're just thinking of them as, okay, assess the foot, move on, go on, go on, give them their pain meds, move on. Let's go. Let's get them out of the hospital. They got to be out by 10. I don't care what you got to do. They got to be gone by 10. Get them a ride. Have them call their ride the night before. Gone by 10. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. That's the problem, folks. That's the problem. That's why I wanted her on the episode. She told me the story um, that she shares and I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the problem. This is what I've been talking about. And she was able to give you tangible examples of this. And I am going to let her speak for herself. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. And without further ado, here it is. Hi, Ashley. So great to be here with you today. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners and kind of let us know a little bit about who you are and your professional um, experience and um, where you're at now? Yeah, so I've been working in the cannabis industry for I think about four to five years or so. And I've been basically spending a lot of time observing like nurses in the space, understanding the industry as a whole, um, the way that it operates, kind of where it's predicted to go, things like that. Um, But one thing I noticed is that a lot of nurses aren't really spiritually aligned. And I also 
didn't feel like at some point I was spiritually aligned. And so um, essentially, I've spent most of my career trying to help other nurses to become spiritually aligned through my own story, my own message. And so I actually worked in as a traditional floor nurse for about 14 years and then transitioned up into corporate for a 14 hospital system. And it was actually my job to save millions on a project. And so from there, I transitioned from full-time employee for the 14 hospital system all the way up to a full-time or all the way to current state as a full-time entrepreneur. And I've been able to author two books. One is Asa's Medicine. A lot of people call it Asa on the first time, which is hilarious to me because that would have been my son's name if I had one. Um, and the other is Stigmatized. And so that's actually a memoir that documents my journey and some of the stigma that I've dealt with. And I've found over, it's almost been a year now, that a lot of people, a lot of nurses specifically relate to that experience. And so, I mean, just to kind of sum it up, ultimately over the past few years, I've learned that I'm special. I've also learned that a lot of nurses don't realize that they're special too. And I feel like it's my job to help people recognize why they're special in their own divine right. And so, yeah, I, I can talk cannabis, I can talk spirituality, I can talk stigma, resilience, burnout, the whole nine. Oh my gosh. I love that. You are so right. So I got your book stigmatized and I was reading it. Um, and I really, as I'm listening to your story, I was really relating to your experience of it. Um, the way that you had, um, in the book you talk about, you got into nursing and you thought it was one thing. And then slowly as you went, <clears throat> you realized that it was something totally different. Mm -hmm. It had a sort of different undertone, a different feel behind it that didn't feel so pure as maybe uh, speaking for me, like I got into nursing because I wanted to love people and I wanted to take care of people. But there, there's there's just motive, hidden motives behind other people. Mm -hmm. um, and in this book, I think you summarize it so well when you said, um, are we really caring for patients? We spend most of the day prioritizing and managing our time. Therefore, our focus is on our time and the priorities, not the patient. Yeah. I think that sums the whole entire experience up, doesn't it? Yeah. That's how, like, let me tell you something. When I was working on the floor, I had my routine down. 7 p.m. assessment, 9 p.m. meds, 10 p.m. break, 11 p.m. break, 12 p.m. assessment, 12 p.m. meds or 1 p.m. meds, 3 p.m. assessment, getting ready to wind down up until six from six to seven. I'm finalizing my documentation and I'm out the door. In that whole routine, I never mentioned the patients that I interacted at any of those times because I don't remember because I was focused on the time. Yes. Yeah. It's so, and it's, it's more, uh, it's more difficult younger nurses. So when you're new, you have these time markers that you have to hit and you have a, a lot of patients and I'm on the East coast and I don't have mandated staffing. So I could see six patients in a day and 
when someone maybe in California in the same unit is seeing like four because that's what's mandated is safe, right? Um, and so I'm really rushing and chasing my tail all day to get these things done and these tasks done. You don't get to see the people. You don't get to experience the people. Um, and that's really, that was my biggest struggle because I was there to see the people, to hear the people and to experience those people because that's what they needed. Yeah, they needed their meds at nine o'clock and at one o'clock and they needed their wound care changed, but what their soul needed was an interaction Yeah, and to feel loved and seen and heard. And that's one thing that's really missing in this. Um, do you, um, did you find that as you were, as you got acclimated to the unit that it got a little bit easier or did you find that it was just prioritizing and chasing your tail the whole entire time? I never really felt like I was chasing my tail. I, I had it. It was mastered. Like it doesn't take me a <laughs> long time to get a routine down. Like it give me about six months or so, especially in like nursing type world, like find a routine. And what I found is that in every job that I had, cause we also tend to jo- job hunt hop every job I had was the same routine. Meds were always due at the same time, same types of patients. It didn't matter what unit you went to. It was the same exact thing. So I actually spent some time as a nurse residency coordinator. So I never worked ICU. I never worked ED, but I have experience of what that's like for a lot of nurses in the ED, in in the ICU. And like I could compare med surge to IMCU to ICU is a different acuity and a different type of assessment or a different type of intervention. But the, the rhythm, the pattern was always the same. So as long as you could figure out what to do in the time that you needed to do it, you were doing the same thing. And so it's just so funny because like nurses um, fight over, I'm ICU and I do this and I'm at surge and I do that. But if we really took some time to think about like what we're actually doing, we're actually doing all the same thing all at the same time, just in a different way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um yeah. And that, but then that begs the question, if something goes wrong, you have your patient code or your patient spiraling the drain and you're trying to get to the bottom of it, it sort of messes up the system too. Um, you had in your book, you mentioned um, kind of, I think it was one of the reasons becoming a mom and having a hard time getting back into the world of nursing and the schedule and the culture of it. Um, And you said that that was your second indication that nursing might not be a long-term career solution for you. Um, Do you want to talk about what maybe, it sounded to me like it was like a work-life balance issue, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. So the physical act of nursing requires a lot of on your feet time. It doesn't, there is no real facilitation of a a body alignment, right? So you're on your feet all the time. How are you implanting your feet in a way that's aligned, right? Because if you're misaligned, then you'll walk a certain way, your posture will be a certain way, you know, that kind of thing. And so 20, 30 years of that, 
to me, it doesn't make sense long term because now you're going to have to deal with the impact of all the on your feet time, not to mention the physical labor that goes into the work that we do, um, pushing and pulling on patients. And I was one of those people that I, I, again, a system, I could pull almost any patient up without ever having to depend on their situation. I could get them to the top of that bed and two seconds flat. Like that's how, (laughs) that's how I was rolling. And so, but I realized that that's a lot of wear and tear on your physical body which is fine. You know, many of us take jobs that do require that physical labor, but it's beyond that. It's, it's also a very spiritually intensive experience. The amount of death that we see, the amount of illness that we're around, um, the, just the, the toxic culture in and of itself that wears down on our bodies. There's a reason why burnout is actually the main reason why every nurse is quitting because of the environment that we're working within. We're not spending enough time spiritually being with ourselves. We're not taking time to meditate. We're not taking time to reground. We're not doing healthy eating practices, mindful eating practices to say the least. We don't have enough time to think through our thoughts and the things that we experience. Do you know how many nurses I talk to and they've, they've, had, so they've dealt with tra- traumatic experiences and when you ask, you talk, wanna talk about it or bring it up, they can't go there. That's called post-traumatic stress. If you mm-hmm. can't go there, you you have been traumatized. Yeah, yeah. So that's so good. Um, <clears throat> I have my own burnout story where I got really sick um, to the point where like my heart was involved and I was like passing out and it all came down to, to burnout. And it was, it was the accumulation of um, kind of just everything, but there's certain things that you expect as a nurse and certain things that, you know, like, like death, we all went into this knowing that we would see death and a lot of death, most death that I've seen has been beautiful in its own way. Right. Mm -hmm. Then COVID hit and then it was death everywhere and it wasn't beautiful. And they were by themselves and isolated and it was depressing and it was hard, but that's not it. That's not all because then we also have, like you said, illness, disease, uh, patients with mental health issues, abuse from patients. And those are all things. If we ask for help, we don't get help because if we ask for help, it's how come you can't do it? So-and-so over there can do it. So-and-so over there can do it. But you, why can't you do it? Um, there's no help, no support for us. They might have a social worker that you could talk to, but you don't have the time to talk to them because you're on the shift. You're on this time frame of 9 a.m. meds, 10 p.m. 10 p.m. shift change, um, assessment, X, Y, Z. So um, what are you advising nurses to do that are out there that are dealing with all of these hard things, they're feeling, they are traumatized Mm -hmm. and there's nowhere to turn. And when you say you're struggling, you're just like your book said, you're stigmatized because you're not, that means that there's something innately wrong in you that you can't do what everybody else has done for centuries. Yeah, yeah. Um, So first of all, prioritize safety. 
So if your job is your way of being, please, that's never my advice to go quit a job um, without a way to support your, your physical safety. Um, the second thing is, regardless of whatever your situation is, um, it's important to take time to just be present in it. Um, recognize where you are. Give yourself permission and gratitude for being where you are. Turn off all of the chatter about it because all the chatter is judgment. And dream about your vision and take the quickest step in a direction towards that vision. Hmm. I love all of that. I love the dream, your vision. I mean, it doesn't even matter what your vision is. If your vision is to be like the best nurse, like, like dream it, right? Um, if you want to be, you know, what, whatever your dreams are. Um, I really love that. I taking time and being present is great, but I also find that it's really hard to do that like in the midst of a shift. You know what I mean? Because you might have a patient that you coded traumatically, passed away, and then cleaning, they're in there cleaning the room. And within an hour, you're putting someone new in there, mm -hmm. right? And you're like, oh my gosh, like yeah. you walk in that room and you're like all the things that just happened in this room, but you can't do that because you have to be like, there's a new person. Grandma Susie's here. Gotta take care of Grandma Susie. Grandma Susie's cute. She's, she's, she's good. She's going to be fine. Um, did you find any practices that would work? I mean, personally, I didn't work in a cult hospital culture that would let you take breaks when you needed them. Um, so I would hide in the bathroom sometimes. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> Yeah, I did too. Do you have any better advice <laughs> than that? Listen, if that's all you got, go there. Like, for real, I have spent plenty of time in the bathroom. If I did get a break, it would not be on the unit. If somebody was covering, you better do a good job covering me because you won't find me. <laughs> you won't. So make sure my patients stay alive till I get back. <laughs> so, you know, and if that's even an option, because I know a lot of hospitals don't even give coverage nowadays, because early in my career, which is what, 12, 13, 14 years ago, um, that was a thing that we had at my first nursing job, which later I found is a luxury, you know, and so um, if that is possible, but even, I mean, walking, sing to yourself, you're walking up and down the halls, handing out medicine, sing a song, lift up your spirit in the like the most silliest way possible. And when you come home, do something that makes you smile. Like don't zone out on whatever it is that you're consuming, whether it's alcohol, whether it's cannabis, whether it's something that we shouldn't talk about today, you know? <laughs> oh, um, right. Right. Like let's, let's try and get away from some of that as part of the habit. And, you know, being able to find just even a second to find, find laughter, find joy, to smile, you know? Mm, find the joy. 
Yeah, I think that's part of what's when I talk to nurses as well. That's one of the things is the joy is gone. Mm-hmm. It's like it's straight to business. And that's why I find a lot of nurses are going traveling mm-hmm. because you can do anything for eight weeks, 16 weeks. You show up, you do it, you test it out. If you like it and it's decent and they're treating you okay, you're like, oh, free sign. I'll sign up again. Um, but if not, then you move on to the next assignment. Mm-hmm. And here's the key thing they're getting like a week or two in between to like recover, refresh, mm-hmm. take care of themselves, and then get back in in a different hospital if the last one treated them terribly. Um, which is sort of that's the appeal. Honestly, people say it's the money, but I think it's that is the is the appeal. I don't think there's enough money you could pay us for us to continue to work the way we're working. Yeah. And especially as a staff nurse, um, I think I think there is some benefit to work as a staff nurse, but I'm not sure if it outweighs the benefit of traveling. And so, um, you know, part of it is that we are like we already feel like nobody cares about what we're going through and how we feel and all that kind of stuff. So you might as well go where somebody actually just doesn't care and you know it, you know, like the politics of hospital culture is you're trying to navigate and weed through who, who cares about what you're going through. Who's not, who's my friend, who's my not, who's not, you know, all the, the toxic drama that bubbles up in, in staff culture because of just the dysfunctional way that we're dealing with ourselves um, just makes it very unattractive to do it. Like if I only got to deal with y'all for 13 weeks, cool. I'm going to do that. Take my little bit of money, go mind my business, go somewhere else when I feel like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of hospital politics, you mentioned in your book, um, once we enter the nursing profession, reality hits. We realize that the rules and policies are set and defined our job is to follow them, no matter how outdated or inapplicable to a specific scenario they may be. Refusing to follow the rules results in a write-up or licenses being on the line. In our earliest days in nursing school, we are taught which answer is the priority. Mm-hmm. I want to like unpack that. First of all, I want to <laughs> say something. You're the first person who has quoted my, my words, and it's really surreal. Soak it in, Ashley. Yeah, like that. <laughs> I just want to say that out loud. Just take a minute. Soak that in. These are this is so good. I really feel like it's so as a nurse who's been through it myself, um enough to like inspire me to have a whole podcast and make my life's mission, changing the culture of healthcare. Um, it is really good to just know that you're not alone, right? Yeah. And even if you're just a brand new nurse, and it doesn't even matter if you've been a nurse for 30 years, if you pick up a book like this and you read it, it's a breath of fresh air just to be like, okay, it isn't me because that's what they tell you. They tell you it's not the outdated policy. It's not this. It's not that. Everyone else can take care of these patients. Why can't you? And really, it's just unrealistic expectations. One human can't do it. Yeah. I mean, first of all, let's think about this, like, logically, okay? Once upon a time, there was a lady named Florence who washed her hands and learned that it was a cleaning mechanism. And now 100 years old, we still quote her as if that's genius advice. 
Like, let's really logically think about this. We still listen. We know to wash. We know washing your hands is it cleans. We know that. That's not information that we need to convey to grown people. There's more to talk about than washing your hands. Yes. There are more policies that need to be put in place than having a whole conversation about the process for washing your hands. We learned that a hundred years ago. <laughs> we did. We learned sunlight is great for you a hundred years ago, <laughs> cheering up a room, brightening up a room. I was actually just writing about Florence Nightingale the other day. And one of the things, like I had this aha moment as I was doing it. And one of the things that I realized is that Florence Nightingale didn't teach us to wash our hands. She didn't teach us to let the sun in and let these soldiers like see the sunlight and they'll get better quicker because, you know, vitamin D is important. She didn't know that, but we do now. Um, she taught us that the little things matter, that presence matters, that mm -hmm. seeing your patients, loving your patients, meeting yeah. them where they're at, that is what matters. That's the heart of it. That is the only lesson that, that she was teaching told us. And that's not the thing we talk about, though. That's the crazy thing. That's the thing that applies 100 years later. Yes. yes. That's it. But do we talk? Do we ever talk about that? Not in nursing school. We don't talk about it on the first day on the job. No. Make sure y'all wash your hands. Let me stand here and watch, watch you. Happy birthday to you. Scrub, scrub, scrub. Like, that's what we do. Then we come around with a little disinfectant light, be like, oh, you missed the top part right here. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much science coming out now about the, the brain and the link to like the immune system and everything. So if you're not taking care of people emotionally, on a soulful level, right? Like when in nursing school, whenever we learned that in like the two days we learned about like spirituality and stuff, I like soaked that stuff up and I was like, heck yeah, I'm going to go there and like do visualizations with people. You don't have time for that at all. Yeah. Ever. You can tell them about it while you're giving them the meds and taking their vitals. And they're like, I just visualize nothing. <laughs> yeah. For real. I mean, and, and, and our hospital environment is not conducive for that. Even if I wanted to visualize something, you're going to look at the jail cell looking window to the left <laughs> I can't I can't visualize anything in there right well, you know right. And, and while you got all the tubes hanging out of you so you know similar I did resonate with the spirituality section luckily you got two days I think I had like a paragraph and I'm not sure if we ever talked about it I think it was just because I asked so many questions <laughs> I and, and it was like it was in the pain section right okay. yeah and so when they were talking about pain the very first thing they would teach us is pain is pain you treat the pain level and then they taught us the medicines we give for pain mm -hmm. and I was very interested in well why are we going to give them medicine right you just taught me visualization in this other class can't we do that that that's just as effective yeah um yeah it just it's all about the bottom line, essentially, right? And taking my time as a nurse to help somebody teach them visualization so that maybe they can treat their pain going in the future. I mean, that skill can go for like tons of things. They could go through a traumatic event 
and use that visualization. It could be pain. It could be when they get their dressing changed at home. I would do that as a home health nurse. That was one of the things I loved. I could pray with people again. I could visualize. I could do all kinds of things. And that was the appeal for me to be a home health nurse because I couldn't do that in the hospital. Um, but I just feel like we're, we're missing that. And I wanted to maybe segue a little bit into your work as quality yeah. manager, because when I saw quality, like you see these jobs pop up, you see this other stuff. I'm like, okay, so quality, we're going to make the hospital better. We're going to make it safer. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) And you're laughing. And I want you to explain why. (laughs) Oh, because first of all, I felt the same way. I did too. I was like, oh yes, these people are going to make quality experiences for patients. Like that, that was my idea of what quality should have been seriously. (laughs) And so my first experience in quality uh, was actually for a 14 hospital system in my, in my state. And I rem- I knew that I was I, I had never worked in quality and it was a really big jump from a local manager for, or a hospital manager for a unit all the way to 14 hospital system because your your um, your scope is very, very vast. And so um, when I got into it, I thought that was the thing that I was going to struggle with. But in all actuality, the thing I struggled with was the reality that quality is cost is cost incentive is how to increase the cost savings for a hospital. And so you do that through data management and analytics. And and my job was as performance improvement, or um, sometimes they called us project managers, and sometimes they called us performance improvement. And I think um, there was some confusion about what those roles actually entail. And it was very confusing for me because I had never done anything like it. And um, when... So on the performance improvement side of things, it was very metrics driven. So how um, increase uh, or decrease length of stay? Um, What is it called? Hospital incentives, like how to increase the amount that they get, because our our state was a little different as far as what they got. And so if they hit a metric, they could get a certain amount of incentive. Um, And then there was... uh, H caps, things like that, things that you hear all the time as a floor nurse that you don't really pay attention to as a floor nurse was like the priority and the driving factor behind my job. And so the other part of it was project management. So then I actually was responsible for projects to oversee cost savings in specific areas. And so what that meant was like if there was a product that maybe wasn't saving enough or was too expensive, right? to find the product that would be cheaper and of quote unquote decent quality, depending on whose standard was talking at that time. Um, or, you know, things around like building IT uh, workflows for nurses, like that is intended. So, you know, they'd be like a new update for the nurse and it's a new button to click or something like that. So the metric around that is to decrease the amount of clicks for you so you can move faster from A to B. That was the incentive. And so I was responsible for overseeing those projects. And what I realized is that I did not care about none of that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it, it's, it's backwards, right? Because it's asking you to do more with less, mm-hmm. make more money with less. What is it? Less 
um, quality of a product, mm-hmm. right? So that you could buy the cheaper product to save the hospital money. You want to move the nurse faster in her documentation, which bless someone is doing that. So we don't have to double document. Yeah, I'm a fan of that, but they didn't use that extra time for anything, but giving me an extra patient to take mm-hmm. care of. It didn't buy me time with my patient. Right. And so, then, yeah. So it was to increase efficiency for staff and increase the, you, so therefore you can increase the ratios or maintain the ratios that have already been stretched too thin. So it would justify the fact that you had an extra patient and we kept it that way. Hmm. Yeah. My, my idea of it all is back to entrepreneur 101. What do they teach you when you become an entrepreneur and you start a business? Know your customer, know your client, take care of your client, love your client. And then the rest will come. The more you love your client, the more of business that you have, because that one client's going to be like, oh, I was treated so good here. This was the best. I got the best care. And they're going to tell their friends. And it all multiplies. Yeah. So the problem, we don't do that. (laughs) The problem is the client isn't the patient. That's the problem. The patient is the widget. And the client, Mm, tell me more about that. Yeah. So um, like a assembly line. So Lean Six Sigma is the methodology that I was taught under. And so Lean Six Sigma was actually created by Toyota. And so the widget in the Toyota car factory is the actual car. So you move all the things down the assembly line, you increase efficiency, you you increase uh, the the process flow or decrease the process flow. So that way you can increase uh, efficiency, efficiency. And so at the end of it, you get a car that has been put together quickly. The car is the widget. Mm. The human is the widget in healthcare. How fast can we put that car back together? And the customer is, let me guess, the insurance company and Medicare. Yeah. That's so backwards. That is backwards. The widget is Medicare and insurance. And the customer is the patient. Am I am I not right? <laughs> no, it's not that way because the patient, and it's so it is backwards. So I want to acknowledge that it is very much backwards. But the insurance industry is an aspect of the healthcare system. You see what I'm saying? So they all work interconnected within the system of healthcare. And so what the patient does is the patient pays the insurance company. So now they're a client to the insurance company, but we don't recognize that fact. And so when we come into the hospital as a patient, we are considered a sufferer. That's what the definition of a patient is. The difference between a, a patient and a client is that the client actually plays, plays um, pays for a service, is engaging on purpose, but we don't engage on purpose with healthcare. Our insurance actually dictates where we go. You see what I'm saying? Or your location mm-hmm. dictates where you go. You don't choose to engage with that particular organization because you're intending to pay them money for a service. You, you don't do that. You're coming there because the healthcare system at large is governed by our federal government. 
You see what I'm saying? So the exchange of money happens within the system. And as the widget, we come into the system and we move through it to get put together as quickly as possible. Yeah, I totally understand it. Um, I just don't understand it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I understand the principles. And I think that is the heart. That's the heart of it. Because the patient is the customer. Mm-hmm. And having the system set up the way it is and not thinking of them as a person, we've taken the human out of it. And that's why nobody cares that the nurse isn't spending time and seeing and noticing and loving on that patient because that's what they need to get better. It's like a baby or an elderly, they get failure to thrive if they don't have love. I mean, that could be just giving a baby a bottle or something, but a a adult, you know, our age even still needs that. And they need that to thrive and to get better and to fix your widget. You could do it so much better and more efficiently with that time and attention, but thinking of them as a commodity and a thing to fix and a thing to go faster on and not spend time on like a car, it's just, it's so backwards. And it's going to, like this model that they have isn't going to be able to be sustainable, especially with the new legislature that's coming out because they're gonna have to they're going to have to have ratios, right? And they're going to have to pinch money somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you have any, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, 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 I was just going to say I agree with all of that. Um, Do you have any examples um, for the audience? Um, I don't know if you can say or not. Um, Please just let me know if you can't. But um, any examples where you had to... um, kind of go against your own ethics to work on a project to like save money? Yeah. Um, This was actually quite a bit of a struggle for me. So one thing I was tasked to do was to um, find, it was a stent project. And so essentially you put the stent in in a vessel and then you can open the artery to increase blood flow and it'll live there um and that's how they fix heart attacks yes right for those of us who might not work cardiology right so it'll live there and you know the person that the patient has to live with that probably for the rest of their life and so um i was told that they were spending too much money on these stents What I learned about the OR is that vendors spend a lot of time in the OR soliciting to the staff and management and everybody else. And um, apparently a relationship had been built with one of these vendors and they were choosing to use these stents over another stent. And so it was my job to go in and to help them identify a quality stent that was the cheapest. And so they found this stent in another country that had good um, evidence to support its use, but it was limited. And so 
it wasn't, it was, it was fairly new. They were using fairly different products than every other stint, but it was the cheapest stint out here. And so there was nothing saying that it was bad, but they also wasn't convinced it was all the way good either. Mm. And so um, it was pushed that we use that stint. Because the goal was to save a specific number in the millions on stents. And in order to achieve that number, this particular stint was the only way to get to that number. Any other variation and combination of savings that could have been saved um, would have resulted in a higher quality stint, something that is proven and more effective. We knew it, we were convinced it showed up on x-rays properly. Um, all of that would not meet that particular cost savings that they were intending to save. And so I allowed that project to go towards the more quality stint based on the physician feedback. And so after I saved, more than half of what I was asked to save, it might I would call it like 70% of what I was asked to save. I was told that I did not do that project successfully. Because you put the patient first and you wanted to make sure that they were safe and the doctors were performing safe practices. Um, yeah, that's hard. That's hard to know. Um, and it just shows to like do research, right? If you're going to go have surgery, ask, you know, what kind of stent are you, what kind of mesh are you going to use, right? You hear a lot about mesh too mm -hmm. and infections and this, that, and the other thing. Um, there's, there's data out there. We can look at that. Um, I remember we spoke before and you said this was one of the things that kind of made you transition out of the quality and the healthcare into your own entrepreneurial adventure. Um, do you want, do you want to um, let us know like how, how you ended up making that leap? Yeah. So, I mean, generally I wasn't happy, but I, I was making six figures. So I was like, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but eventually I actually was the victim of cyber theft somebody stole the down payment for my home. And so in that experience, I lost capacity to tolerate some of the things that I had been experiencing. Um, and the focus then started to transition more onto me as to what I wanted, um, why something like this would happen. And I kind of just woke up to the fact that I really had not been paying enough attention to how I was feeling. Um, I wasn't paying enough attention to my my body specifically. And so um, therapy came, I started going to therapy after that experience. And, you know, I, I just started doing yoga and I was suffering from insomnia at that time because of anxiety related to the work that I was doing. And um eventually I just was like, it, it has to be a better way. It has to be a better way. And so, um, 
I started doing yoga. I started meditating. Um, I discovered the endocannabinoid system. Um, you know, all of those things came into my awareness at that time. And it was like for, further validation that to me, and I, and I know I say this kind of lightheartedly, but because I know this is people's livelihood and their job and we have to have nurses, but to me, healthcare was a sham. And like, cause how have I been a nurse this long? And nobody has ever told me that these are realistic options for, you know, attuning uh, to wellness, right? Because what we see as nurses all the time is we see people all the way in the phase of illness, but we don't take any time to consider all the things that led up to the illness. And a lot of things can be prevented mostly through stress reduction. Stress is the number one killer in America. They say it's like mm -hmm. heart attacks or something like that, but everything that's on that list, that's the top reasons why we die is because we're stressed out. Stress is the precursor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It just looks like heart attack, diabetes, stroke, um, but it's stress and yeah. nursing is, is a stress for me. It was like, and when I hear you talk about it, it's like, like a program mm -hmm. and you like woke up to it. Right. And once you see it, you can't go back. Yeah. Um, that was like that for me. And I realized that like through nursing school, even you're just like taught innately that you're just not good enough. Right. You know, like this is hard for you because of you, everyone else can do it. You can't do it. If you have too many patients, like the I had somebody tell me I needed to take a 36 patient assignment. And I was like, no, not safe. And they told me that it was something wrong with me because all the other nurses that work in the facility can handle 36 patients. And why would I not be able to? Cause I must just not be a good nurse. Um, but at one point I like woke up to it to be like, I am a good nurse. That's why I won't take 36 patients. That's why I speak up. That's why I ask all the questions that I know all these people around me are wondering, but don't dare to speak. And that I wasn't well received in that aspect because <laughs> nobody wants you to ask the questions. Yeah. Nobody wants you to be like, why aren't we doing X, Y, Z for this patient? What is, you know, why, why is this patient still here? We're not doing anything for them. Or why are you having your nurses take 36 patients? That's completely unsafe. That's like, two minutes a patient in a 12 hour shift or whatever that equals out to. It depends if you take a lunch or not. Yeah. Um, do you feel like that resonates with you as well? Like you're just in this program of like, go, 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 give, give, give. And without any regard for your own self, because no one else regards you, no one teaches you it. And you're just burning yourself to the ground. I mean, yeah, that's essentially what happens. I think so almost all of us, every, per, every nurse that I've spoken to has some version of this. Um, and so, yeah, well, you know, I mentioned healthcare is a sham. I think everything in this physical plane is a sham, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you. So it's a matter of how you're going to choose to interact with it and how intentional you're going to be with the fact that you know that it's a sham. Mm, yeah. Because it gets to be whatever you want it to be. Yeah. It gets to be beautiful and yeah. joyful or it gets to be something else. And you just have to kind of be awake to that. Yeah. And 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 so that's that's part of 
the work that I do is just to help people to recognize, I mean, nurses specifically, to help us to recognize the value that we have to offer, not only to like people if we wanted to own a business, but to ourselves. How today can I enjoy today? In what way can I find a way to just be me, to be okay with my thoughts? And I think, you know, those little things matter to having an abundant lifestyle. Like, I think, you know, we misinterpret what abundance means in mainstream, the way we communicate it. It's not about like, how much stuff can I accumulate? Or it's not about like, what flashy thing I can do to myself to make me seem like more than what I am. How can I be abundantly joyful, have abundant relationships, have a, an attractive force, right? Like, how can I do that? And then when I do the things that I actually do, whether I like them or not, find joy in them because I see the game. I see the patterning. I can watch for the rhythm. Mm, mm, yeah, that's so good. I like, I like, love this conversation, this type of stuff. It's like, you want, you know, if you pick up any book on abundance, it, it says something about money on the cover. Because yes. that's what people think. But really, you're buying things and you could accumulate anything you want in this world, but you're not buying the thing for the thing. You're mm -hmm. buying the thing because you're chasing a feeling. And so if you could just be in that feeling, then it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Yeah. You're just in it. And Absolutely. you just are it and you have it already. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I love that. So you coach or work with nurses, whether they're entrepreneurs or not on a, sounds like like a spiritual level to just find joy again in life, no matter what that looks like and where that takes you. Yeah. I mean, so I really consider myself more of a holistic practitioner at this point. And so in the way I approach um, the way that I help other nurses is through that holistic lens. And so the first step tends to be, let's heal you first. Let's find your voice, let you feel confident, understand your value. And then if it speaks to you, then you can go off and either educate through the work that you do at the bedside about the endocannabinoid system, other people about all these holistic um, measures that we, we put into place. You can now do that for other people because there's no way that you can offer healing to anybody if you haven't healed yourself. And then the other route that people might want to take is through the business side of things. Like I want to be an entrepreneur too. And again, you know, entrepreneurship is on trend. I get that. But there's a lot of healing work that goes into yourself in order to for you to su successfully execute in a business, especially if it's your first time. Mm, yes. Say that louder for those in the back. It is a full on like spiritual journey. You cannot get out of this alive unless you are doing that work. Yeah, <laughs> so I love seriously. that. Seriously. I love that. And I love that you are doing the work of healing first, because I find people are jumping straight to entrepreneurial adventures and without doing the work because they just want the next step to get out. Mm -hmm. And it's important because they might heal and be like, oh my gosh, I love nursing. Just maybe this one hospital is just toxic and I need to work in a different one. Um, so that is really great. And you have another, um, you do cannabis education. 
Yeah, it's a training course that I offer um, to help nurses understand the endocannabinoid system and how cannabis medicine uh, interacts with the endocannabinoid system and how we can implement it into our day-to-day -day practice. So, you know, if you're at the bedside and, you know, your patients might be coming to you, like ED is a big place. Um, everywhere, to be honest with you, if the tax screen comes up positive, a conversation should be had. And so I walk you through what that process looks like in the training course. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And home health is where I found that as well, because I would get a lot of cancer patients and the mm -hmm. doctors would say, you could look into, and they give them like their cannabis card. And then they would show it to me and be like, what do I do? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. And I have no idea where to look to tell you because there's nothing medical in the training. I think the opiates scared people, right? Yeah. And they're like, I'm not jumping another ship. I'm not going to go there again. Um, and so I would have to find cannabis educators to educate my patients. And I'll be like, all right, I'm coming for the phone call. And yeah. I would be sitting there listening on the phone with them. Um, so yeah, so home health is a great place as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, community health, public health, anything in that area. Um, I mentioned ED, but even like in the ICU, I've heard terrible stories where um, a, a child patient might have had a severe seizure response to, and the child might come up positive for THC in their body and child protective custody has been called on the mom, but she's medicating the child with medicinal cannabis because that's the only thing that keeps their um, seizures under control or even in um, labor and delivery where the patient is consuming for severe nausea, chronic nausea. Um, she might be medicating for pain purposes or some other chronic disorder that she's dealing with. And so, you know, some conversations about risk and benefit need to come up, um, mm -hmm. considering what the actual experience of the patient is, what the actual outcomes are related to consumption and in relation to potentially the medications that they're taking. Mm, all, all super important and mm. great work. Like I said, I wish I knew you when I was doing home health nursing and <laughs> taking that course. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, Ashley, where can we reach you if we, if any nurses listening um, want to have a conversation with you either about they're burnt out and they feel like they need some help and guidance and love in that area or they're a home health nurse just trying to figure out how to do this marijuana stuff. What do you <laughs> www.cannabisnursingsolutions.com. Um, I'm also easily found on Instagram, Cannabis Nursing Solutions. And then I also have a Facebook group called Cannabis Nursing Solutions. Wow. What a great conversation. I honestly did not think that this would take such a turn and go down the avenue that it did, but I'm really, really grateful that we were able to have the conversation that we had today. All of the talk about burnout, all of the talk about the expectations of what nursing was like in our fantasy when we went to school versus what we found when we showed up. Um, I really feel like that really resonated with me and I know it's going to resonate with a lot of you as well. Even if you're not part of the healthcare field, you might have the same expectations and ideas about what working in healthcare is like. And maybe it's eye opening to see what we're really dealing with and to see how 
patients are viewed from management's perspective. Um, her time as a quality, I would have thought quality was making the care better and preventing errors and issues. And no, it's just about how do we get a cheaper product so we can save money. And a cheaper product means more risk to the patient, but that's okay as long as it's not a risk that's too big because um, we don't want more lawsuits. Uh, so just balancing that risk, no, why wouldn't you get the safest products so that your patients can have the best care? Because then they're gonna come to you for that type of surgery because you have the best products and the best care and the best ratings. But um, we, that's not what we do apparently. So um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're interested in working with Ashley, following Ashley, make sure you look in the show notes. I will have all of her contact information listed in there. And until next time. <laughs>